I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance, and this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, I'm talking with Jill Moser, the Senior Vice President for Global Loyalty and Offers at MasterCard Data and Services. We all know who MasterCard is, but not everybody knows the scope of what MasterCard does. MasterCard Data and Services is the professional services arm of MasterCard. So they offer data products and services that enable businesses to drive value beyond the transaction. Here at DCA, we've known Jill when she was in retail at Sears, then at Bank of America with a senior role there and now uh, as an SVP at MasterCard Data and Services. And I am excited for this conversation. Jill and I are planning to cover a lot of ground, including consumer preferences and discovery. So are people still prioritizing experiences over things? And how does that change merchants' approach to the market? How do we create seamless experiences for consumers? And I want to get Jill's perspective on the future of offers and loyalty as as someone who's worked with those programs, first in retail, then at banking, and now at MasterCard Data and Services. So stay tuned for a deep dive into seamless consumer experiences in 2024, a conversation with Jill Moser of MasterCard. This episode of Commerce Code is brought to you by Augio, a global leader in engagement platform technologies that create compelling experiences, foster people connections, and cultivate brand advocates worldwide. With more than 45 years of experience, Augio empowers Fortune 500 companies to deliver extraordinary brand experiences for employees, consumers, channel partners, subscribers, and members. Fueled by a holistic engagement ecosystem across workplace engagement, experiential, social activation, customer loyalty, and digital asset experiences, Augio's mission is inspiring people to achieve more, one interaction, transaction, and experience at a time. Augio, engagement unleashed. Jill, thank you so much for joining us today on Commerce Code. Great to have you back. Uh, where are you joining us from? Yeah, so I'm not based here, but today I join you from Purchase New York and the MasterCard headquarters. Terrific. And I I know that you have been globetrotting a little bit, and maybe some of that will come up as we have our conversation today. But um, I'll just say you've been a little bit busy. I think it's fair to say, Yeah. Absolutely, I've been busy. This role is global, and we are, you know, managing loyalty programs for over 700 programs in 85 different markets around the globe. So, exciting work, and um, you know, each market is a little bit different. But yeah, it is uh, certainly keeping me busy. Oh my gosh, I'm sure. And uh, well, what a terrific vantage point you have into uh, what's going on, and and I just look forward to kind of diving in. So. So look, I, w- I want to start with this kind of question that I think runs back at least at least a decade in my mind, um, which is that we've been talking about how consumers are prioritizing experiences over stuff. I feel like that has been a conversation that's been happening for a good long while now, and I just wonder, you know, things have been have changed so much in the last couple of years as we are now what two thirds of the way through twenty twenty three. Do you still think that's true? Is it changed at all in the last couple of years? Where are we at on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's still true. You know, of course, the global economy has been in flux and 
you know, my crystal ball isn't working to predict our economic future, but we certainly see customers are pulling back in certain areas to prioritize and accelerate their spending habits and others. And so from your question, they're definitely prioritizing experiences. Travel's up, it's rebounded well past pre-pandemic numbers from 2019. And even most recently, based on recent numbers from Q2, cross-border travel is up more than 150% from 2019 levels. So we certainly see customers wanting to venture out. There is definitely travel demand, travel recovery on the experiences front. But, you know, as it relates to things um, and on the merchant front, merchants are certainly having to evolve and shift their strategies accordingly. You know, the resilient customers are choosing to trade down on brands that they buy so that they can prioritize that spending towards those experiences. And, you know, it's created a need for merchants to create incentives like guard-linked offers to capture those new customers and retain the existing customers or win back customers that are trading down. But we're definitely seeing that, you know, also just, you know, some other data points from most recent MasterCard spending pulse, which measures in-store and online retail sales across all forms of payment in July, Customers were prioritizing dining out over eating at home. So if you looked at the spend at restaurants year over year, it was up 9% with restaurants compared to that of spending in grocery, which was only up 4% year over year. So if you you know consider inflation and such, customers are definitely choosing the experience of a restaurant versus staying home and cooking in. But during that same time period, spending with airlines and lodging were also up 8% and 3.5% respectively year over year. So, you know, absolutely leaning in on that front. It feels like everything you've just said is kind of an inversion of what was going on during the pandemic. And at this point, you know, we're a little ways past the heart of the pandemic anyway. But, you know, those trends, I think, are just a, a, a straight up flip of what we were all forced to do, you know, in 2020 and 2021. The uh, on the, the cross-border, you know, just to repeat what I think I heard you say, 150% up cross-border travel, 150% up against 2019, right? And I, you know, for those of us that were looking closely over the last couple of years against benchmarks, you know, 2019 was sort of the, every, what you were looking at and kind of in many ways waiting for this or that thing to get back to level, you know, with 2019. It's remarkable to consider that cross-border travel is, is that high right now. Right. It's amazing. We, I've, our daughter happens to be in Europe right now for school and, and it would be, I would like to go visit her and I am considering stowing away on a container ship. Uh, if you're aware of any options there, um, no, it's, it is remarkable. You know, I've flown uh, transatlantic and transpacific in my whole career. And so I have a pretty baked in sense of what, you know, it normally looks like, you know, prices. And as anyone I think could attest who's done this or looked at this lately, it's, it's pretty remarkable, right? I mean, from the airline perspective and they, they certainly took a hard hit during the pandemic, but man, they've got some pricing power now, right? It's a very different, different story. You know, I, we're thinking about um, consumers and how consumers relate to this and obviously how brands and, and merchants and other players relate. And one of the things that we, we kind of talk about in DCA is the discovery process. You know, how does consumer discovery work? When you mentioned, for example, you know, the increase in cross-border travel and an increase in restaurant activity, increase in, you know, hotel activity, I presume would come along with that. And so I wonder... Um, how you all think about consumer discovery in the experiences space as opposed to products. Um, how does that work? How's that maybe different now? And what's your angle on it? 
Yeah. So, you know, on the experiences front, especially when we talk about discovery, you know, you couldn't talk to someone at MasterCard without us bringing up our revered brand, Priceless. You know, through Priceless.com, we work to provide these unique experiences where people live or, you know, they plan to travel, et cetera. We have over 2,000 experiences in 45 cities around the globe, uh, which is exciting. But we're encouraging discovery for experiences like on Priceless.com or if you're, you know, on the brand world and talking about how do you, you know, provide that same experience for things. I think the capability is really the same for both of those items, but it's the messaging that needs to differ. So, you know, for example, on experiences, if we were providing a, you know, exclusive wine tour in Italy, we might want to consider serving up something complimentary like a pasta making class to ensure it ensure that that experience kind of plays through, right? How do you continue that customer journey with them? But on the product space, you know, especially thinking about like an offer and the world we often live in, you know, that might look more like because you bought sneakers and you bought a gym membership, you may like this athletic wear. And so ensuring that that personalization, the content and the messaging, you know, flows through to customers, I think is important. And I think that brands really shouldn't be scared to reinforce how personalized content enables that discovery. Statements like because you shopped here or because you liked this, they're good. They form well and customers like that transparency and they're willing to trade and share that information if it will benefit them in some way. And I think that's the key. You know, customers need to understand and truly value what that trade looks like. But they really expect it. <laughs> you know, it, it's no longer that you can go out in a non-personalized way. I think people lose people pretty fast in that environment. And, you know, we recently did some research on the offer space and over half of the people globally shared that provided offers to them informs the purchasing decision. And so if you get that personalization right, you can drive a lot of purchase power for what that brand looks like. And, you know, messaging what that looks like over time and ensuring that brands get it right is something, you know, I feel like certainly that we do well here. But, you know, I think it can be tied up into three things, right? So personalizing that messaging and tailoring it to the unique preferences and the circumstances of that individual, right? So you have to get that right. It goes beyond personification. You know, the second is doing a lot of test and learn and learning quickly understanding what's working and what's not. And then finally, related to the second point is the optimization of what you've learned. So using the data that you're getting from the test to make those better decisions, machine learning and the power of artificial intelligence is helping drive really fantastic results um, that you know has me very excited for what the future looks like. But I think if you're if you're doing those three things well, you are really happy with your with your spend and how you are ensuring that you're getting the right message out to the customer so that they can find you in the first place. There's so much in there and what you just said. And I the um I guess one thought I, I have and as I have the benefit of being a bit of a neutral party. And so I think there's an anxiety about a sort of unstated risk of, well, gosh, you know, what if people don't like the the perception that this is too tailored or whatever? The way it seems to me is that a some subset of people, I think, maybe have that intuition that maybe that's always going to be true. But to what you've just said, and you were talking about, you know, over over half of customers globally are saying, hey, this informs our purchasing decisions. And I just think that the majority of people, and I think that there's plenty of evidence just looking around the world for the last you know, 10, 20 years, that people value being treated like the person that they are as opposed to sort of some generic um, consumer. 
And so that ultimately, sure, there's some aspect of of concern about how do we do this in a in a thoughtful way. But like that's really what it is, right? It's how do we do this thoughtfully? And you just sort of outlined the th- three step process for for making that happen. And so that's just kind of my, I guess my reaction to the whole thing is I I feel like significant chunks of the industry are held back by a concern that they can't quite articulate. And I just think that you know there's real value to be captured and, and created for consumers through that sort of tailoring. The piece that I'm I'm interested to to tap on a little bit with you is when we think of MasterCard, we we obviously think of the stuff that's in our wallets. But you know, you, you guys sit at the center of a lot of of data flows, and you, I think, and your group can work with all different kinds of organizations, and it's not just limited to sort of the the MasterCard network. That's right, if I understand it correctly. It is, yeah, hundred percent. Which is an interesting, again, as I said at the outset, puts you in a, in a great central position with, you know, good visibility and what's going on. Well, we talked about consumer discovery and in particular in the context of experiences. And I want to shift to kind of friction in the consumer experience. And, and I'll say the connection there is when we've been having a lot of conversations and doing some work around um, friction in digital commerce this year. And one of the things that comes back is, at least in the minds of some, in the opinions of some folks in the industry who I think know pretty well, you know, discovery is a major area of friction in their view, right? Which wouldn't have been intuitive, like, that wouldn't have been the first thing I thought of, but it might be right, right? Like, there's a huge challenge there, like, how do I how do I figure out the right thing? Um, and so I wonder, from your perspective, thinking about brands and what's the most common or kind of the riskiest source of friction for brands, and then is it fixable? Yeah, so first, I wanted to comment on something that you, that you said, because I do think it's kind of little known, right? But MasterCard loyalty actually sits in a, a data and services arm of MasterCard, which is really just that. It's data and services. It's kind of outside of our core processing. We have the benefit of you know our network and having access to all of the MasterCard data, but we actually provide services for financial institutions and publishers and you know also the merchant community on the other side that does so in a network agnostic way. So as long as we have access to the data, whether that's because they are, you know, if you take the financial institution because they are an issuer of strictly MasterCard cards, which is not that common. Most issuing banks are issuing multiple brands of their cards. You know, as long as we have access to the data, we provide that service on behalf of those publishers and financial institutions. And so we provide that offers ecosystem service, you know, accordingly. So thanks for bringing that up and allowing me to set the record straight, so to speak. But yeah, back to your question on friction with brands. And, you know, what can they do? I think the most common thing that, you know, I hear about these days, and this is kind of a continuous evolution, is the strict rules that are being adopted around the globe on tracking and cookie use around collecting consumer PII around ensuring that you are adhering to whatever standards you've set with the customer, that customers have the ability to opt out and that you are complying with every single piece of data that you might need to be sharing, um, you know, back and forth, that you're not somehow towing the line on any of that. I think that is something that brands, you know, should be concerned about, right? This is changing all the time. I'm lucky here at MasterCard because we have, you know, you can imagine the number of legal privacy data compliance folks that we have, you know, within the company to ensure that we're living up to whatever that latest standard is, depending on the market that you're in. This can vary greatly market by market around the globe. But I think for brands, especially the smaller ones that don't have that same level of, you know, the the long legal team that I just mentioned that, that we have at MasterCard, I, I think that's a 
pretty tricky place to be, you know, and wanting to ensure that you are doing things the right way and that you're not putting yourself in, you know, a place of a pretty significant risk. Absolutely. The waters are very choppy right now for everybody to navigate. And we, we see a real differences between different kinds of organizations and also different sizes, to be honest, right? And so from a kind of an enforcement perspective, from a risk perspective, if you are a small startup with a brand that not many people know, and you're just not that sizable, you're not going to be an enforcement priority in all likelihood. And so I think the risk appetite is different. I think for a MasterCard, that's just an, you know one of the top brands in the world, presumably, I wouldn't know where you sit on the list, but it's got to be one of the primary ones, right? In terms of human beings living today that know that you exist and certainly government actors and regulators and stuff that know that you exist. You know, there's a lot of risk there. Well, you know what? It's healthy in a lot of ways because it focuses the attention on, okay, what are the rules? How do we do it right? And obviously you're in a position where, you know, the goal is we're still going to deliver remarkable value to folks, right? But we're going to figure out how to do it within the scope of the rules. The difficulty right now is the rules are changing a little bit, right? And it's a little hard to, uh, what are the rules? So that that's a challenge. You know, on the, on the friction stuff, so that's an interesting insight. I think into the friction is like, how do you do this well? in light of the risk and the regulatory backdrop. I'm wondering about kind of experience or product categories for consumers where, you know, in some categories, consumers are really devoted to something and they'll stick with it or they'll they'll work hard to get to the right answer. In some other categories, they're really fickle, right? It's like, ah, they just go across the street, so to speak, for something if it's the least bit difficult to engage with something. So I wonder, you know, what are the areas that you think are consumers are fickle or it's sort of high risk for the merchant to, to make sure how do we capture that consumer and keep them? Yeah, I mean, I think based on some of the conversation we were having previously, customers are expecting this like tailored engagement, no matter where or how they shop. Um, They're just so used to receiving it from providers like streaming services and e-commerce giants. I know McKinsey developed a research paper on this where, you know, I think over 70% of the customers expect companies to deliver a personalized interaction. And then like over three-fourths get frustrated when it doesn't happen. And so <laughs> that's a pretty big, those are pretty big numbers, right? To talk about in terms of, you know, making sure that you're, that you're getting it right on where there is issues. But, you know, I, I think there's certain verticals that have lower barrier to entry. It's things that, um, like you mentioned, you know, does location matter, crossing traffic, thing that when you talk about in-store type examples. But I think really customers just have so much choice these days in where and how they shop. And the competition is becoming greater. So in like an e-commerce world, if the customer experience is too complicated, has too many steps, if it somehow lacks transparency, if the price changes at the end of the booking, like in travel, for example, the customer is on and they don't come back. They remember what that experience was like. And so getting that experience is just so, it's so important now. And it's even on a loyalty, when we talk about loyalty, it's not just a program, it's outcome that's earned from that continuous exceptional engagement that you're providing the consumer. And so, you know, as we kind of collectively try to figure out how do you get it right, it's that, you know, how do you continuously wake up being so driven and thinking about the customer to ensure that every single interaction is fantastic? Yeah, and it comes back to, to customer experience. I guess the answer to way is, you know, if the experience is memorable and sticks with you and, and maybe memorably easy in certain cases, right, but fun where possible, right? Let the customer will continue to engage. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. 
Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. So let me shift to where we're at on the calendar. I think for the typical consumer, they're not thinking about holidays yet. I think for the industry, of course, thinking about holidays started a long time ago. And so now here we sit in, in September. And you uniquely, uh, as I mentioned in the in the upfront or up top in the podcast, you've been in retail banking. Now you're at MasterCard Advisors. How do you think the holidays have changed the way that brands approach offers and you know how have offers changed over the years as you sit here now looking back over a, a good deal of experience career-wise? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to show my age, but um, mentioning the different places I've been, you know, I've been around since the, you know, paper coupon days, I mean, mail-in rebates, we had at-home data entry personnel, you know, you name it, a lot has changed, right? Digital changed everything and the adoption of the smartphone obviously has changed significantly, but, you know, a lot hasn't changed though, right? The brands and, you know, the merchants are still trying to capture the dollar and, you know, capture the dollar early. And so you've seen an insurgence of Black Friday becoming, you know, you start to see those deals coming out much, much earlier than you ever did before as customers are planning their shopping, um, you know, and figuring out what that is. A customer's fingertips, they're able to check price and understand that they're getting the best deal. But overall, from an offers perspective, some things remain the same, right? Brands and merchants alike, they want net new customers, right? That new acquisition is the coveted spot to be in. But, you know, outside of that, more brands are realizing that they also need to reward with loyalty components for existing customers to retain that ongoing expected return of revenue generated from those loyal clients, as well as having strategies for win back. I think, you know, that that hasn't changed. I think what has changed is the insurgence of personalization and the hypersensitivity to that around artificial intelligence. So ensuring that you're using everything that you have at your fingertips about an experience to ensure that you're tapping the right, the right person with the right offer to hopefully get the desire result that you as a merchant may be seeking. Absolutely. I, in an incredibly crowded space, you know, I, I always think about that needle and haystack imagery and there's just so much from the consumer's perspective, there's so much information coming at them now compared to a few decades ago. And so if personalization's the thing in general, and you just mentioned AI and some other tools, what do you think is the most effective way to personalize offers to generate that, that revenue, whether it's acquisition of new customers or retention of existing ones? There's a few things in my mind of, of what that looks like. First is, you know, don't over inundate you know, the customer, right? You want to make sure when they get a message from you that they know they can count on it, that it's not just noise. I mean, I deleted probably a couple dozen emails this morning on my personal email of just junk, right? Or things that, you know, don't don't necessarily matter to me. But the brands that get it right and the brands that are personalized, you open. You're kind of looking forward to what do they have for me today on, you know, what that looks like. So getting that right is important. In, in terms of personalization, right? That, you know, I'm biased, but I think if I were a brand, I'd be looking for that direct attribution. 
ensuring that what you have going on, that you know that that every dollar that you're spending, that you're actually getting the value out of it for what that looks like. And then tailoring in some of the things we've already talked about of machine learning, modeling, you know, adaptive AI, continuous test and learn on, you know, what that looks like and triangulating all of that sounds a lot easier than it is in practice. But I think that that provides the greatest results. The machine learning is fascinating. and I think it's going to move really fast. Is is that sort of the new thing, you know, for loyalty in 2024? In in your view, is it going to be that or is that maybe going to take a little longer? Like, what are you excited about for next year in loyalty yeah. and personalization? Very excited about the continual advancements. You know, we're not ready to publish results yet, but we have some really exciting results for our machine learning models that we are using to predict Redemptions and ensure that the spend that we have for our merchants and how we are, you know, engaging customers is the right place at the right time, you know, from a predictive perspective. So it, it's just things that in my old days would have taken many months of, you know, reviewing spreadsheets and trying, you know, with the best data analysts are being done by machines in milliseconds. It's fantastic, right? And I think we're all better for it. So super excited about what that looks like as that continues to be refined and improved. Leaning into zero-party data, first, second, third, you know, to get a more holistic view of the customer certainly helps that as well. And just better utilizing the data to inform decisions. So there's still a long way to go, but every day excites me the, the better and better, you know, the technology gets. Yeah, to go, come back to that needle in the haystack thing, you know, the, the imagery, the I think that maybe the natural circumstance in the past has been you run off to find the needle in the haystack on one occasion because that's the needle that's the thing that you need but there's a lot of stuff in there there's a lot of information in that haystack to continue the analogy and you're just kind of you're sort of trying to ignore all that to get the thing you want i think what ai and machine learning really opens up is the ability because we can't we're humans and we're limited but the ability for the machine to look at all the stuff in the haystack and say hey what's what's meaningful here how can we use it how can we create understanding from this rather than just like a particular point of knowledge? So I really think, I mean, I, I just think that there's a terrific opportunity here. And, and, you know, every time I play around with ChatGPT or any of these other models, I was playing a little bit with, an, with kind of the Google competing product this morning. I just think, yeah, it's, it's maybe it's, it's probably primitive compared to where we'll be in a year or two. But what this stuff is capable of doing, both symbolic AI, which is one thing, and then the generative AI is amazing. So with all of that said, we're, you know, and staying on that data thing, and maybe we can kind of close with this, you know, next week, we're going to get uh, a bunch of DCA members in the room to kind of talk about how to use, you know, you've mentioned third party cookies and certain kinds of data sort of going away, but also at the very same time, and to some extent for, for that reason, because of that, more creative uses of data emerging. And so we're going to sort of get everybody in the room to just talk about how do we use data more effectively to creatively kind of personalize offers to consumers. And I just wanted to, to get your perspective. What do you think MasterCard is able to bring to the table in, in that area as a company, you know, as a data company and as a very sophisticated sort of analytics company, as you've alluded to, what are you excited about in terms of what MasterCard can do? 
it's the power of the data and, you know, the power of investments we've made to ensuring that we are trying to triangulate things and make things easier for our clients that they, you know, maybe couldn't do themselves. So there's a lot of things that MasterCard publishes around this area, but there is a lot more that we look forward to kind of telling the population about and how we can better serve clients with our data and services tools. But yeah, we are, we are also excited to host the DCA in November. So, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get to meet some of the listeners here on this podcast at that event. Yeah, I completely failed to, you know, the, the event I just mentioned, getting together to talk data, that's next week. So this is uh, September as we're recording this. But yeah, I, I almost failed to plug November 8th. And we're going to be at, I, I've, I had a little sneak preview when I was in New York a few months ago, but um, you mentioned that you're in the appropriately named uh, and amazingly named Purchase. I, I got to read the Wikipedia entry on that somehow to find out how that got named Purchase. But anyway, you're at the headquarters of MasterCard in Purchase, New York. But this is an event that's going to be in uh, in Manhattan in the Flatiron kind of district there. And just a really cool building that you all have there at MasterCard. And uh, we'll be getting everybody together on November 8th for a, for a sort of a bigger conference style event. So yeah, anybody who's listening and has an interest in these topics, I think this conversation has been a fair review of some of the sort of things that we'll be hitting that day. And, and we're grateful that MasterCard's hosting. It's going to be a ton of fun. Well, Jill, this has been a, a, a great conversation and thank you so much for your, you know, your time. I know you're super busy and uh, make, get a lot of plates spinning, as you mentioned, and I think it's like 70 some countries or, or whatever. And so please, please keep, uh, you know, the commercial world rolling while we do our thing at DCA. We, we rely on MasterCard to make sure that, you know, currency continues to flow and people continue to buy things. And so uh, I know you'll make that happen and we look forward to seeing you. Yeah. To your point, November 8th in New York. Sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.